Morning, Phil Fellowship. My uh, tablet decided to up, uh, update uh, on the app right now with all my sermon notes. But praise the Lord, it just came back on, so that's awesome. So uh, today we are going to be continuing our journey through the Psalms in Psalm chapter 3. And man, it's awesome to see you all this morning. It was funny, I was joking with Gladys, I was like, we might see three people today because it was so cold and so miserable. So man, man, praise the Lord, you all got out of, out of bed this morning and came in this cold to get in the Word together. So let's do that today. Uh, Psalms chapter 3, um, a Psalm of David. I'll bring up the notes there, brother. Uh, if you want to turn there, or yeah, there we go, or it's on the, on the screen. A Psalm of David, when he fled from Absalom, his son. Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. Many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him and God, Selah. But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory, and the lifter up of mine head. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill, Selah. I laid me down and slept. I awaked, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me round about. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. For thou hast smitten all mine enemies upon the cheekbone. Thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Thy blessing is upon thy people. Selah. So as we get started today, <clears throat> I want to note some uh, interesting things here as we begin. Uh, some firsts that happen in Psalms chapter 3. Uh, the first thing is, is that this is the first use of the word psalm in the Psalms. And that word psalm meaning um, someone? Oh. Yeah, song. Okay, yeah. I, I know, I like to ask questions and get everybody involved. <laughs> gets, it gets us awake, <clears throat> right? So the word psalm means song. This is the first time it's mentioned in the Psalms. It's also the first use of the word selah, which we'll see many times through the Psalms, which just simply means to pause or to rest. And this implies a musical rest, in fact, where these songs were meant to be, to be sung in front of the whole congregation of Israel. Some other things of note is that this is the first psalm that's officially attributed to David as the writer, who is described as the, uh, the, the I have a hard time saying this without putting like an inflection, the sweet psalmist of Israel, right? Second <laughs> Samuel 23.1, right? So, but he was, right? At least half of the psalms are, are directly attributed to King David as the writer. And, and though I'd argue it's probably far more than that, what we can say for sure is that he wrote more psalms than any other psalmist in the Bible. Right? He was God's psalmist. And it's not surprising as the Bible defines him as, in fact, God defines him as a man who is after God's own heart. Right? He was God's composer. <clears throat> psalms 3 is also the first of what are called the morning hymns or the morning psalms, as they are psalms that are rec recommended to be sung or, 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 or recited as we arise in the morning. It's supposed to be the first thing we do to praise the Lord with our, our first thoughts and our, our first breaths. Right, so that we're reminded of who He is and, and who we are in Him and, and of all the great and, and marvelous things that He's done as we begin our days. Psalms 3 is also the first psalm with a title, a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. And something else important and, and practical to note here, <clears throat> as we're really just beginning our journey through the psalms, is that these titles, uh, these titles that we'll see much, much more of, they aren't just titles that were added by some Bible commentator or, or even by our Bible translators. These titles are actually a part of the original Hebrew text as well, and, and they're still in the Jewish Bibles even today. And, and as Peter tells us in 2 Peter 1.21, they were written by holy men who spoke as they were moved by the Holy Ghost to do so. And so they are to be taken as absolute canon, which is just a fancy way of saying they're official, right? They're, they're bona fide, they're the real deal, they are God-inspired. 
<clears throat> so we should never miss or dismiss these titles when we see them. They give us context into what we are reading, and they help us to better understand the passages they are in, and really the Bible as a whole, right? If you can understand where this title came from, you're going to understand, you know, 2 Samuel, you're going to understand Psalms more. <clears throat> and see, so we can also apply the same principle uh, on a side note to quotes and examples given by one Bible writer about another, right? We just finished Romans or we're in Corinthians now. And when Paul in the New Testament talks about something that Isaiah said in the Old Testament, man, we should look into that. And, and I want to mention that because we are going through those things and, and it will help us to have a better understanding. Or in this case, when the Bible tells us that this is a Psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son, well, we should look at that as well, which we're going to do today. And we'll talk some more about that some other time, perhaps. But the important thing to get here is that God's word will commentate itself if we allow it. If we just simply take the time to investigate that, right? Meaning it'll, it'll explain itself. It'll define itself, right? <clears throat> Outside commentaries are great. You know, so I, I use a Schofield, Farrell uses a Schofield, you know, uh, John Phillips. There, there's some great commentaries. But I'm telling you, the Bible will commentate itself if you take the time to look at it. Paul, Jesus, others, they make mentions of these quotes and examples for a reason, just like these historical references and these titles here in the Psalms are mentioned for a reason. And I'm going to tell you, God does not waste space in his book. So we are going to take a little time and get some context from this title in Psalms 3 uh, <clears throat> today, uh, so to better understand what God has for us today. The basis for Psalms 3 covers events that were told to us in 2 Samuel chapters 15 through 17, but really it flows from the events starting in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 11. Before we get into that, though, I do want us to notice here that there is also an interesting contrast to what we see David going through now when he is fleeing from his son Absalom in 2 Samuel compared to what he was going through as a young man fleeing from Saul, which we looked at a couple months ago in Psalm 142. See, when David was a young man fleeing from Saul, his many mistakes came as a result of his circumstances. But now what we will see here later in David's life when he is running from his son Absalom is that his circumstances have now come as a result of his many mistakes. But what we also see here is that compared to when he was a young man still learning to trust the Lord, still doing things his own way, mucking things up because he, he wasn't giving it over to God, as an older and wiser man, David now has an uncanny trust in the Lord. And I believe that we see that fully realized here in Psalms chapter 3. <clears throat> but to get there, we need to have a little story time, and we need to briefly examine the things that have led David to this point in 2 Samuel chapters 11 through 17. So most of us are probably familiar with the story of David and Bathsheba, but in case you are not, what happens is this. In 2 Samuel 11, we see David's sin. So King David's been having a lot of victory up to this point where we see him in 2 Samuel 11. So he does what many of us do when we start taking our God-given victories, because our victories come from the Lord. we got to remember that. When we start taking those for granted, and he stops working circumspectly. That word circumspectly, just like, it's, it means like circumference or a circle, right? It means to be aware of all your surroundings, of everything that's going on around you. Well, David stops walking circumspectly, and he, start, and he starts getting complacent. And at a time when he, the king, should have been at battle with his men, the Bible says. Well, he hangs back in Jerusalem, just sitting on his palace rooftop. And this is where he ends up seeing this beautiful woman, Bathsheba, bathing across the way. He's like, I got to have that. Now, this woman also happens to be the wife of one of David's elite soldiers, Uriah the Hittite, one of his mighty men. And worth noting, a man who was very loyal to David, 
Unfortunately, this doesn't stop David from being unloyal to him and to the Lord and from calling Bathsheba over for what, a lack of a better term, a, a, a late night booty call. <laughs> he seduces her into adultery. And well, what happens there is that Bathsheba gets pregnant. <clears throat> and when David fails in his attempts to get Uriah to come home from the battlefield to, to sleep with his wife, to be with his wife so he can, he can hide his sin, right? Well, he sends, he sends Uriah to the front lines of battle to die against the Ammonites. And all again, just to cover up his own sin. And this leads us into 2 Samuel chapter 12. Well, needless to say <clears throat> that the Lord is very displeased about what David has done. And so he sends Nathan the prophet to confront David. And after a very convicting analogy concerning two men and a lamb, uh, he delivers the Lord's message to David, which was this, uh, which is 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 9 through 13, which says, Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword and hast taken his wife to be thy wife and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from thine house because thou hast despised me and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Thus saith the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house. And he does. And I will take thy wives from before thine eyes and give them unto thy neighbor. And he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of this son, for thou did it secretly. But I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. And he does that too. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. So David repents. And Nathan said unto David, the Lord hath also put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. God forgives him. So see, David truly repents and God truly forgives him. And that's pretty awesome, especially considering the, the extent of this sin, right? I mean, he didn't, just, he didn't just sleep with this guy's wife. He had him killed. <clears throat> However, the Lord says that the consequences of David's sin will be upon his house always. The sword will be upon David's house always. And this is exactly what happens in the years to come. And it doesn't, it doesn't take long for this to start playing out either. As in the very next chapter, which is in 2 Samuel chapter 13, we, it's where we see the issues with David's children begin. And remember, God said that he would raise up evil out of David's own house. And that evil, unfortunately, comes in the form of his own children. So in 2 Samuel chapter, uh, chapter 13, verses 1 through 22, we see one of David's sons, Amnon, decide to rape his own half-sister, Tamar. And then he casts her out in, in hatred and, and, and makes it seem like it was all her fault. I mean, that's some stuff, right? And though the Bible says that David was very wroth about this, says he was very angry about this when he found out, he does nothing to directly address the rape of his daughter Tamar, right? A princess of Israel by his own son, Amnon. Well, Tamar runs to the house of her full brother, who is none other than Absalom, right? The one that our psalm says that David is fleeing from. Where she remains desolate, the Bible says. <coughs> Not sure if this was for her whole life or if this was for a season, but in any case, some serious damage was done here, right? Absalom now hates his half-brother Amnon with a passion, and rightfully so, right? I mean, he raped their sister. So he waits patiently, though. Amnon, he's, or Absalom, he's a patient guy, though. He waits patiently for two years, two full years, and then he convinces dear old dad to let him take all their brothers, all the sons of the king, right, including Amnon on this little excursion. And so in 2 Samuel chapter 13, verses 23 through 33, we see that on this little excursion, Absalom gets Amnon drunk with wine. And then he has his servants brutally stab him to death 
right there in front of all his brothers. Really makes a point, right? Really gets that point across. And though David is very upset by this, the Bible says, again, he does basically nothing to address and to correct the sins of his children. And it causes a rift between Absalom and David for about five years. And David basically puts him into this soft exile. He's like, I just don't, just don't talk to me, right? But he still does nothing to deal with the real problem head on. And the real problem is this, that David has sown seeds of resentment in his son Absalom, raised up from a lack of leadership that will eventually yield the seeds of rebellion. I think this really flows well in what, in what Dell's been teaching through 1 Samuel and about leadership and what God's been working on me in my own life. Now let's just pause here for a moment because we can get something really practical from this in that if we are going to be good leaders and even good parents, that we have to address the issues of those that we are leading as they arise. Good leaders address issues as they arise. We can't let problems grow and fester and remain unchecked, just like we can't let our children go undisciplined or unrestrained, right? That's not love. That's not leadership. Sometimes we have to have hard conversations with the people we love. And man, that, that's, that's something that's been difficult for me in my own life, I know. And, and man, we have to speak the truth in love, right? So, so that they can grow and so that we can grow together in Christ, right? That's Ephesians 4.15. See, we do absolutely no service to our children. We do absolutely no service to our spouses. We do no service to any whom God gives us to lead if we, do, if we are not holding them accountable to God's word and speaking truth into their lives. And by the way, we need to be holding ourselves accountable to God's word first. Because I can tell you with the utmost certainty that you will never be able to hold others accountable to God's word, if they cannot see that you are accountable as well. I'm going to say that again. You will never be able to hold others accountable to God's word if they cannot see that you are accountable as well. That is a promise. And I'll be the first to say, man, that is the hardest thing to do with, with your spouses, with your children in your own home, right? Because they got a front row seat, right? They're right there. They see you right there on front street. They see warts and all, man. They see all your mistakes. They see you walking around the house in your underwear, whatever. You know, they see all the things, <clears throat> right? They see everything you do, or, or for that matter, everything you don't do. Like in the case of David, it was more about the things he didn't do. And I'm telling you all that, man, after raising three kids, uh, man, each one very different, with, with different perspectives and different ways of dealing with things, different emotions, and after making many, many, many mistakes of my own. And man, I can tell you without a doubt that it takes a lot of grace. <clears throat> it takes a lot of patience. It takes a lot of prayer. And man, it takes a lot of trusting the Lord to lead others well. It does not come naturally to us, at least not for most of us. And I confess that I'm still learning that every single day. And I would add here also that I have no doubt that the seeds that began Absalom's rebellion were derived from David's poor leadership of his own house. See, it's no wonder that Absalom thought that he would be a better, a, better, a better king than his father David because he watched David not rule his own house well, right? And not deal with the, the sins of his kids as he should have. And after being the one, after Absalom being the one to have to avenge his own sister, right? And in front of all his brothers, kill, kill Amnon, just so they knew who was boss. They knew who worked that thing out. 
He probably walked away from that thing feeling like he was the one who brought order back to David's house. He probably walked away from that thing feeling like he straightened out what daddy couldn't. Well, it's no doubt that he also probably felt like he would be a better king as well. And we see the evidence of that in 2 Samuel chapter 15. As Absalom starts spending the next many years slowly convincing and conniving all of Israel to fall under his counsel and leadership. And he does it right under David's nose, right there at the gate of the city, the Bible tells us, right? He does it right in front of everybody. He takes advantage of David's apparent neglect to properly judge the children of Israel, just as he neglected to properly judge his own children. And he plays the part, man, he plays the part of a politician as good or better than any we've ever seen, right? In 2 Samuel chapter 15, verses 5 and 6, it says, And it was so that when any man came nigh to him, to Absalom, to do him obeisance, right, to, to show him respect, he put forth his hand and he took him and he kissed him, right? He's out at the city gate kissing babies, right, like a good politician. <laughs> and on this manner did Absalom to all Israel, and don't miss this, that came to the king, for judgment. They didn't come to Absalom for judgment. They came to the king for judgment. But Absalom, he's the one out there giving judgment. It wasn't David. Where was David? So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. And that's how he did it. You see, if David had not been neglecting his own children first, then Absalom might not have rebelled. And if David had also not been neglecting judgment of the children of Israel, then Absalom would have never been able to steal the hearts of the men of Israel. And you know what, y'all? Maybe Absalom was right. Man, maybe he would have been a better ruler than David. Right? He was definitely the better politician. And on paper, it would definitely seem so. See, the problem was that Absalom, he wasn't a man after God's heart. Right? He had a heart that was wicked. And it was was full of sin and selfishness. Right? Self-motivated. And he certainly wasn't God's man. No, David was God's man. David cared for the things of the Lord. David had God's heart. And David had God's promises. And despite all his shortcomings as a father, as a ruler, man, and, and we, should take, we should take some comfort in that, right? If, if you ever feel like you come up short as a, as a father or a ruler of your own home or however God's got you, whoever God's got you leading, man, well, man, I truly believe that David, he cared for God's people and he cared for the things of God. And God knew that. And I should also probably point out here, just on a side note, that Absalom is a type of antichrist in our Bible. All right, and he probably would have been a vicious dictator and a terrible ruler had he ever been given any real power, just as the the real Antichrist will be someday very soon. And that's another message for another time. But in any case, though, right after this, Absalom begins to gather his forces and he sets his coup into action, right? He wants to get his rebellion rolling. He's waited a long time. Only now David is running from his own son and his own people and and his own problems that he created, frankly. And on top of that, suddenly all these old haters and these old detractors, right, start coming out of the woodworks and and even some deceivers and old enemies just waiting for this opportunity who are looking to capitalize on David's unfortunate circumstances. And this is the scene that we find ourselves in when David is writing this morning hymn in Psalms chapter 3. So let's come back there and let's look at David's trouble. So Psalms chapter 3, verse 1. A psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. Many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. Selah. See, David's trouble and his enemies were very real, right? They were very 
very tangible. And man, maybe, you know, maybe you don't have a rebellious son that is threatened to uh, raise up a 12,000 man army to come hunt you down and, and kill you. And man, I really pray you don't today. Um, but man, we do have enemies, right? There are many in this world who would, who would love to tell you that there is no help for you in God. There is no God. He, he's not listening to you. He's not there for you. Spaghetti monster in the sky, right? Man, there are many in the world that would say that. And the devil, man, he'll happily whisper that same junk in your ear on the daily. And even our own flesh at times will agree with him, right? And try to convince us that God isn't going to be there for us when we need him. He doesn't care about you. He's not here with me now. And I'm telling you all, if we start believing those lies, then, man, we can grow sickly. We can, we can be depressed and we can feel alienated and alone which is what our enemies want. And man, I know that there is more than one person here who knows what I'm talking about, who knows what it feels like to wake up and to feel like the whole world is against you, right? To feel like all your circumstances in your life are more than you can bear alone and like everything's just coming up upon you. And I know that because I feel that. I can feel that many times in my life I have felt that. And so I know if I felt that, there's somebody else here who has felt that as well. And like David, maybe there are even circumstances that are a result of your own choices. I know many of mine were, right? And maybe they're not, right? Things do happen. Things happen to us all the time that are out of our control. But whatever the case can, may be, man, if you can just give that over to God, choose to give that over to God, right? To get that right with God and just let Jesus be the Lord of your life. And that means he's in control, y'all, right? Then I, can I just tell you, man, that like David, you can trust that, man, God can help you to overcome anything that this life will bring. Because even if you die today, right? I mean, this has been a crazy week. We've had, what happened with baby Bennett? What happened? Al Sippo was a dear brother of mine. Keep hitting that microphone, man. Uh, man, you know, my, my daughter's best friend, you know, coming down with cancer. Her father, it's like, what's going on, Lord? What's, what's happening this week? And I look at how the lost are dealing with, with, with these circumstances, and I look at how the saved deal with these circumstances, and I'm telling you, there's a difference. There's a difference in the, in the hope that we have in Christ, and we can hold on to that, because even if we die today, man, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, man, then the worst thing that can happen to you as a believer is the absolute best thing that will ever happen to you, and that is that you will be with him in eternity. And man, we have to have that kind of faith. We have to have that kind of eternal perspective. So let's, let's talk about David's faith. Uh, verses, uh, Psalms 3, verses 3 and 4. It says, But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory, and the lifter up of mine head. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill. Selah. So in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul's talking about this armor of God. Most of us are pretty familiar with that. If you're not, you should go back today and read that, right? <clears throat> and so he's talking about this whole armor of God and all these things that we're supposed to put on, right, to, to get us ready for spiritual warfare, right? He tells us that the real warfare is not against flesh and blood. No, it is, it is a spiritual warfare. But above all these things that we're to put on, he says we are to take up the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, everything that the the enemy can throw at you. Man, if you just got that shield of faith, our faith in the Lord is our shield and he is our glory. And I had to meditate on that. He is our glory. He is my glory. What does that mean, right? 
See, we can hold our head up high, having faith, man, that, that we can trust Jesus completely, right? And that nothing that the enemy can do will ultimately keep us from Christ. Because, and not because of who we are, right, or anything that we've done, but because of who he is and what he has done. And that's why he is our glory. Pastor, uh, <clears throat> Pastor Dan Renault was talking at Mission Focus, I think it was on Friday morning, about what it means to have faith and to trust the Lord. It was kind of a snippet of the greater message he was giving, but it really struck me in the heart, right? <clears throat> and the gist of which was that I can trust God because when I look back on all of the struggles I've had in my life, I can see clearly from, from this, this perspective that I'm in now that he has always been faithful to me through all of the struggles I've been through. Even the ones, man, where I felt like, man, where are you, Lord? It's like, oh, he was there the whole time. He's always been faithful. See, the will of God will never take you where the grace of God will not keep and protect you. My experience has shown me that my faith in Christ, it is warranted. It is true. And not because I'm so faithful either. It's because God is so faithful. See, David, he made a lot of mistakes, y'all. But he always got that thing right with the Lord. And he always trusted that what God had promised he would fulfill in David's life. And it always brought David back to a place where he was on his knees and crying out to the Lord in faith. And just like David, we too can cry out to God. And we can find our rest in the fact that we, he will hear us out of his holy hill. Right? And, and that's what we see next. We see David's rest. <clears throat> says uh, Psalms 3, verses 5 and 6. <laughs> I laid me down and slept. I awaked, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me round about. See, David had every reason to lie awake at night in fear and in worry and in, in regret. Right? But unlike that young man who had been running from King Saul, right, who couldn't eat or sleep for three days and three nights, right, David now was far more settled. And it was because he knew that he could trust the Lord. And because he knew he could trust the Lord, he also knew he could find his rest in him. In fact, man, David didn't seem to fear for anything, fear of anything, when he wrote this psalm. While he was once again running for his life, right? Running run from his problems even. But he knew the Lord would sustain him. He knew that he would provide all his needs, right? No matter his circumstances and no matter how many enemy forces were up against him. And see, likewise, the Lord does not want us to live in fear or in worry or in regret. He wants us to find our rest in him. He wants us to keep doing the work that we've been called to do. Because just because you're resting don't mean you stop doing the work. Jesus tells us this actually in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 30. He says, come unto me, all ye that, are la that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And that yoke, in case you don't know, that's, that's the thing that they put over the oxen, right? To, to help them, to, to, to guide them, to, to till the field, to get it ready for planting, right? <clears throat> and so what Jesus is saying here is that, man, if we are resting in him, 
while we labor, right? Then he will also, we will also have rest in the work that he has called us to do. And notice here also that this isn't rest from working. This isn't rest from the work. No, this is rest in the work. The oxen don't put on the yoke just so they can sit back in the shade and do nothing, right? No, the master puts the yoke upon them to do the work that he has for them and to be fruitful in it. You don't plant a field to not be fruitful. God wants us to have fruit in our lives that will bring him glory, that will see, we'll see the souls of those we love saved and an attorney with us. But man, to do that, though, we can't be holding on to fear or to worry or to regret, right? He doesn't give us a spirit of, of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And man, David, he naturally could have been holding on to all three of these things. Couldn't blame him if he was, right? With good reason. There was an army of men who had betrayed him, including his own son, and who were looking to have him killed and dethroned. And so it would have made perfect sense for him to worry. And, and man, it was also in great part his own fault that this was happening, right? Many mistakes over the years, firstly, because of his sins with Bathsheba and Uriah the Hittite. And then also because he, he obviously did a poor job leading and raising his children. So regret over all his past sins and his mistakes, that could have easily been weighing upon David. But see, David also would have remembered what Nathan the prophet had said to him, or what the Lord had said to him through Nathan. God had put away his sins. And God had made promises to David that he intended to keep because God keeps his promises, y'all, and he has made promises to us as well. Fear, worry, regret, man, they just become a stress and a weight that just hold us down. And they, leave us, they, they leave us inept, right? Unable to move, right? Unable to do the work that God has called us to do. In fact, our King James Bible tells us 103 times to either fear not or be not afraid in one shape, form, or another. So I'm pretty sure that God may be trying to tell us something here about letting go of fear, letting go of worry, letting go of regret, particularly where he is involved. Because, man, when he is in the battle, we already have our victory in him. Amen. Amen. And that's the last thing I want us to, to see here today, which is David's victory. So uh, that's uh, Psalms 3, verses 7 and 8. It says, Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for thou hast smitten all mine enemies upon the cheekbone. Thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Thy blessing is upon thy people. Selah. See, David had his assurance in God. He had assurance that, that God was going to come through because he had always smitten the ungodly enemies of his past. And man, he knew that this time was no different. Those enemies, they may have been more than David himself could handle alone, but the Lord had broken the teeth of the ungodly. They had no bite. There was no bite to their bark when the Lord was in the battle. And this applies to us just as it did for David. And man, I can't say it any better than Paul said it in Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39, which says, <clears throat> What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession 
for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or peril or, or nakedness or peril or the sword or any other thing that you could possibly go through in this life? As it is written for thy sake, we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him, through Christ that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is our salvation, y'all. That is our eternal security. And you know what? Our salvation belongs to the Lord. And praise God. Because no enemy can take away the salvation that God gives because it's his. It's his alone to give. It is his blessing upon his people. It is our blessed assurance. And man, against law, we can rest in that. We can find our rest in Christ. And uh, that's, that's what I have for you today. Um, I do have one more thing that I want to kind of leave you with. And this is something that God kind of practically kind of gave me as well as I was going through this over the last couple of months, which is I mentioned before that this is a morning hymn. This is a morning psalm, right? And that, uh, so I was like, okay, God, I, I can't come up here and teach this if I'm not waking up in the morning and actually doing this myself, right? Reciting this back. And as I started reciting it back, it, I'm like, okay, I don't have thousands of enemies against me. But he's like, but you got thousands of problems, don't you? Right? You got thousands of things that seem like they're against you, don't you? Well, can you not Get up in the morning and start praying that back. So I want to give you a little homework just in, in, in the days to come, right? Don't just forget about this psalm. Go back and, and read it and, and recite it, just you and the Lord in the morning. And insert and, 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 and yourself in there and, and, and get practical and relational with your father. And, and just recite this morning hymn with him. So, okay? Love you all. And that's, that's that.